Hey, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. It's Friday. This is Trevor Hall, your host, and we're going to run another in-depth interview. This time it is going to be a, um, a roundtable discussion. It's turned out to be an annual event. The last day of PDEC, we have the Millennial Brain Trust of the resource investing sector. Uh, so it's always a good conversation. The last day of PDEC, after everybody's kind of had their wear and tear throughout the week and uh, had a little bit of time to reminisce over the last few days' activities, so it was a good conversation. I'm going to air that in just a few moments. But first, quickly, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Sponsors for uh, Mining Stock Daily. That is Minera Alamos, Integra Resources, Brixton Metals, and Western Copper and Gold. Thank you for your ongoing support and really makes uh, uh, doing this work that much more meaningful. I really appreciate, re- really appreciate the time and, the, and uh, everything you give to the podcast. Another quick announcement, Mining Stock Daily is actually going to be uh, co-hosting new Metals Mining and Markets Report Weekly with uh, Mickey Fulp. You're going to be able to find that after market close today and every Friday subsequently, uh, giving a recap of numbers and markets throughout the the global sector. Uh, You can find that at kitco.com. So really proud to be uh, part of that as well. So stay tuned for more of that later today. So without further ado... I'll leave you with my discussion with uh, three young chaps and myself discussing the resource markets, give you a little bit of perspective of uh, uh, some young investors and people involved in the industry. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the end. Hey, welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall, your host. Uh, This is the last interview of PDAC 2019 for the show. And uh, we're going to cap it off with a big uh, roundtable discussion. Last year we did, um, well, with the Clear Creek Digital side of the business, we did a a roundtable discussion we titled the Millennial Brain Trust of the Junior Investment Sector. And uh, I have everybody back with the exception of one, our dear friend Fabi could not make it. So we found an excellent sit-in in in her place with Jamie Keach from Capitalist Exploits. Jamie, thanks for joining us. To my right, I also have... Sean Kingsley, my good friend and confidant uh, who does investor relations and communications for companies such as Cabral Gold and, uh, you know, just everywhere in the sector. And then to my left, I also have Nick, the mining book guy, uh, who's also a good friend and close confidant. So you three, thanks for everything. Uh, Thanks for everything you do in the last year, the phone calls I've made, the conversations we've had, the relationships which have been forged. But let's talk about PDEC. It's the last day. We're all run down, haggard. My voice is a little raspy for Can't some tell. reason. I don't know why. <clears throat> but what has the last few days been like? What were your expectations met uh, as you walked in here? Uh, and what you know? What, what was what was the last few days? What's the, what's different? Sure, I, I can start us off. Um, for me, even more emphasis on the country and emerging region. Uh, sessions over on the north side. That's where I started because when I got to my first uh, event, the Western Tethian session about uh, Eastern Europe, uh, it was more energy than last year, standing room only. They're actually, next year, it was so popular, they're going to do a full day instead of a half day. And uh, I got that same type (coughs) of feeling when I went to Mongolia Day, uh, when I went to the African Mining Breakfast over at the Sheridan. There aren't too many millennials or too many people like myself, but that just means opportunity. And, you know, getting um, a lot more business cards from mining ministers or people who work in government. I don't know exactly where all that's going to go, but that has been a huge difference for me. 
On the flip side, and I, I have a feeling others are going to agree with me, uh, it's subdued on, in the investor exchange. Uh, it costs money to get in there. So there, there's a bit of a contrast, and, and I think that's, for me it was great, but I think for some other people they might be disappointed. Well, and before we started recording, Sean, you and I were having a conversation that does seem to be a lack of retail investors on the investor exchange floor. Yep. Maybe that represents a bottom. We want to be in a bottom because we know there's an upside potential here in two th this coming year. I mean, is, would we all agree with that thought right now? Like the lack of investors, there's there's a silver lining to it. Well, take it back to that old school uh, story about John D. Rockefeller, right? Like pretty much when the shoeshine boy was giving him stock tips, he went back to his office and he sold everything his family owned and he saved himself from a recession. So you don't want to be at the top. And right now, you know, it's at the bottom. No one's around. There's mm -hmm. no really retail investors in, but the smart money's walking the floors. The, the companies, the majors are looking around. There's money to deploy into this, into this, this, this high-risk industry, but the smart money always comes in at the bottom. And, and I had a good feeling about this. Yeah. Jamie, I had a question for you about um, financing. Uh, it seems like a big struggle to raise capital right now for the juniors. What's, yeah. the, what's your thought? Well, I mean, my focus this week has basically been two things. Uh, meeting with people putting together new deals in the startup phase mm -hmm. and meeting with financiers uh, that you know we at Resource Insider at Capitalist Exploits can partner alongside and participate in good investments. Um, and what I will say is that on the the new deal side, uh, people are struggling to find financings. I met with a couple of great guys uh, putting together really cool opportunities uh, that seem almost a no-brainer to me, but there's you know, some of them are looking to raise half a million dollars. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of them are younger guys putting together their first or second deal, and but they're really struggling to, to do that. On the flip side, I met with a lot of guys from, you know, various funds and investors and, and what have you. and. There is an appetite for this, but it's a bit of like a chicken and egg. Like they want to be part of deals that are going to take off and that they know are going to be a success. Mm -hmm. And I think probably like always, people are hesitant to be the first one in and not sure if there are going to be people behind them to follow them into that. And, you know, they don't want to be, you know, if, if you're a big fund, even if you have the means, you don't want to be solely supporting an exploration company for years and years and years and not having that support from other financiers and of course the retail market. So I don't know if I've answered your question, uh, <laughs> but my thought is that there is a, like, with the M&A going on in the space now, I think the smarter uh, and more experienced people are aware that eventually that's going to trickle down and into an exploration market. Yeah. But no one wants to be the first one to dive into that yeah. and it's kind of waiting to see what happens. Well, and I think that's a good and uh, important topic to sway into. The M&A has obviously been the big discussion of the last few days. I would argue as these mega mergers continue to happen, and that's what's on the cover of all the news outlets right there, there is some good things happening on the junior side uh, that just don't get as much of attention when you have to compete for the space of a new monitor barrack. Um, there's a lot of things happening in Sweden, Norway, and Scandinavia right now that we've been seeing. Um, we saw uh, a pretty big merger between IDM and Ascot over the last month or two. Um, what are some of the headlines on the junior side that you think needs to get a little bit more attention out there? Um, why everybody's looking at these mega merger deals? Well, I'll start. Pretty much the only thing that's moving in these markets on the junior side of things is either high-grade gold intercepts 
or big copper porphyry potential. You know, it's 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 tough. It's it's a soft market. But you know, like I talked to a lot of the Germans that are, are coming resurfacing. They focused a lot in Australia the last few years and stuff, uh, usually at bellwether. Um, but they're now starting to see because there's going to be opportunities back in the Canadian junior side of things. Um, so a lot of the money has gone in these soft markets to deals that are you know in production, that are low risk, that are you know already big. But now is the time to really start looking. But yeah, the only thing moving in these markets is high grade gold intercepts or big copper porphyry potential. Well, it's interesting because the copper porphyry stuff. I think people. I've talked to a number of uh, academics and people who have been in the industry for a long time in the exploration and have actually done work in porphyry. And what I've been told is everybody seems to have a porphyry, but they don't have enough drill holes in the ground to actually prove that it's a porphyry. It's expensive. Yeah. And they don't have $50 million to yeah. do whatever. Right so, I mean, that's a big boy game. So, I think what's worth noting, too, and, and I'm sure many of your listeners will follow Tethian Resources. Uh, yeah. So, as for those who don't know, uh, a gentleman named Richard Wark, uh, you know, very serially successful mining entrepreneur, uh, went into Tethian in the last few weeks now, and the share price tripled almost overnight. Uh, he put in something like four or five million dollars, not a lot of money for a guy that's probably pretty close to being a billionaire. But it's a good example of that there is an appetite for exploration. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, is that people are scared to invest in exploration companies because they're not, they don't have the reassurance that they're going to be able to get access to the capital that they need. And especially if you're a retail investor, you know you're not going to be the one supporting that company uh, for the next five, ten years that it's going to take to make these sort of discoveries. But when you have a big group uh, like Richard Wark's Augusta Group coming in, and you know they're easily, easily able to write $100 million checks to support the companies that they want to support. You know, the not only the retail investors, but the other institutional investors really perk their ears up for that. And then, and, and again, the share price tripled overnight. Uh, and I think that is a really good sign of the appetite for these sort of things in the market. It's just if people can overfront overcome that initial fear, that sort of first mover's advantage. And then there's you, Nick, who has influence, because you love exploration companies. In fact, you still love exploration companies and jurisdictions would people would, all, most people would write off. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you've actually been able to sway some attention to those places. So they, how has this year been in like, putting people's eyes in Burkina Faso? Oh, absolutely. I, and and I'll, I'll tie it into some of the things Jamie and Sean said. Um, with Burkina Faso, I think what is uh, important is like many of these scary jurisdictions, you, you need to do a dive into the specific country within a region, and then within the country, you have to look at, um, you know, are there parts of the country that are scary, scarier than others? And one of my recent picks, uh, Sarama Resources, SWA, on, on the TSXV, this was a little bit of luck, but you know, a month ago, uh, Things were looking pretty dire about the need for a raise, and <coughs> when I made a video for it, the key was that they needed to do a financing, but there was so much gold in the ground, and there was so much interest and consolidation in the area, I just felt it couldn't go down any further. Now, some people couldn't, still couldn't get over the Burkina Faso factor, but once, luckily, a couple weeks later, Semifo comes in with a takeover bid for Savory, which had a JV with Sarama, and it's literally right next door. All of a sudden, a lot of eyeballs come on it. When I was here last year, nobody wanted to talk about Sarama. There were a lot of people who actually were like, oh yeah, yeah, you know that one? Like, you know, th so, so it's, y you see bigger players come in, that makes a difference. 
Um, you, uh, you, you actually are seeing a little more interest in Africa. And, and I guess I'll, I'll finish this off by talking about one other one called ROSCAN, R-O-S, on the TSXV. That was a high-grade near-surface gold discovery, but a little different from what Jamie described. Even though the, the team is well-respected with exploration, they aren't good with capital markets. I think they've made some mistakes there, but it's such an interesting discovery that's already been a three or four bagger and is still mostly under the radar. And uh, um, I was able to make some money off of that, but Africa usually is off of people's radars, but it's so hard to find these high-grade gold discoveries. People are still willing to go there. So um, that's the type of stuff I focus on, and you know, I'm, I'm having some success despite it being a tough market. And, and, and once again, you had a great transition to my next topic, which was that since this is Mining Stock Daily, let's talk about how to effectively trade stocks and hopefully make a profit. Uh, just from my own recent experience uh, trading in the last uh, month and a half, I would say there's been times where I have taken a profit and then saw more upside in the stock price, but was okay with that. Then there were other times where I saw companies that I had shares of that went up and uh, considered taking some profit and didn't, and now those numbers are down. And so let's talk, if you can give some advice on some best practices in uh, speculating and trading these, these plays, what would they be? Well, I'll speak about that from our perspective. Uh, and we take a little bit of a different approach at Resource Insider. We are focused, we don't trade so much. We're focused on long-term investments. Probably one to three years is our typical time frame. And we're focused on private placements, which many of your listeners will no doubt, no doubt know that's participating in equity financings uh, in these companies. And a lot of the deals we do are private. Uh, some of them, they all have some sort of hold period. But what we're looking for uh, is really not a quick trade. Um, and I think it's it's hard to find that in this market where you're not getting, like we were saying, a lot of eyeballs on these projects when they're not necessarily getting the attention they deserve. But we do think we're really, really in a phenomenal place right now to be building up a portfolio of you know excellent assets run by world-class teams, backed by great financiers that really have the vision for what these projects can be. And you know, I would recommend anyone out there, whether you're participating in a private placement, whether you're buying stock on the market, you know, find well-supported companies uh, run by a good management. And so what that means is well-supported means they should have some institutional backing if they want to grow. And that means funds, that might be royalty companies, but groups that can support that company through the inevitable ups and downs uh, of an exploration project. Uh, and good teams, you know, this is, it's somewhat hard to quantify, but it mostly means people that have done it before uh, and people that are intimately familiar with the jurisdictions and the types of deposits that they are after. So if you're investing in a, in a geologist that has a 20-year career um, looking at porphyry copper projects in Chile, you know, don't invest in them when it goes to an epithermal gold project in Mongolia. It's, it's a different thing. You want people... It's, you know, it, it's apples and oranges, yeah. it's, and you want yeah. people who are good at what they're good at. Uh, and there are a lot of people out there that fit that description. Just do your due diligence. And I think this is the best approach for most retail investors at home who don't necessarily have the technical background to dig into detail on the, on the meat of the projects. And this is a good, safe bet. I, I, I can carry on that because pretty much uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, you know, I was a consultant. I raised money for 12 different junior companies to put marketing programs together, strategies, whatnot, how to roll out your developments and stuff. 
I didn't do good because I wanted to be with all my investors, so I took <coughs> stock instead of uh, cash, and that hurt me paying taxes and whatnot. I was paying at the entry level and then the loss level as well too, personal and corporate. So I decided, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang my hat with a good group that's done it before. That's you know they don't need to do this if they don't want to. They're they're very successful guys that have a track record, like have a track record of doing it and having a focus. That, exactly like what you talked about. Find teams that have a specific focus that know what they're doing, has a connections whatever jurisdiction they're in, and can get it done. Because that's 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 right now it's a soft market. It's a quiet market. But those are the type of guys when the market turns around, you know, they already have what they want and they're the ones put put your bets on. Those those great advice from both of you guys. I, I guess I'll just take it purely from like a retail perspective, because I'm a retail guy. And I, this wouldn't work for everyone, but if you look for the cheapest, cheapest stuff, it doesn't take that much to get, you know, a fifty or a hundred percent return. And I don't always sell half on a double, but it's such a simple rule and it's actually pretty good because um, new, newbies either tend to hold too long when it's going up and too long when it's going down. Like you just you just don't trade at all. And and I like to take some profits. And I'll, I'll use Roscan as a specific example because it's the very first stock that's a legitimate discovery where I had a double in 24 hours. I actually wanted to buy more and um, I, I couldn't because it moved up so quickly. And I took half the profits and I thought, okay, you know that was a nice little trade. But the more I looked into it over the next week or two, I bought back those shares and you know tripled or quadrupled my position. And so when you're really, it, it takes a lot of work. And I do have a full service broker. That's something I'm happy to talk to private people privately. But when you do the work, um, you can really change your mindset and, and you don't have to think like you're trading every single day, but sometimes you will change your mind on a stock and um, you get in that habit. Uh, yeah, you can really take advantage of the market. I, I did want to kind of ask about passive aggressive, passive uh, investing strategies. Passive aggressive uh, yeah, investing. <laughs> passive <laughs> investing. And not necessarily about the ETFs, but we're seeing these applications on smartphones to where you can put random <laughs> sums of money around up your spending and you know, that app will go out and put that money into certain funds or certain companies, uh, you know, fractions at a time. Is there a space in the junior resource sector or something like that? Does that, can that fit in this? Would that help kind of put more younger generation people into the mold now instead of waiting for another 15 years when they have more money to invest? It's tough, you gotta do your homework, but take for instance crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is a thing. It's, it's not really on, on the junior space, but there is definitely crowdfunding applications happening that you don't have to risk a whole bunch of your, your equity and stuff, and you can move it around, diversify, but you know, we need that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't really know, do you guys? Um, I, this might not be what you're exactly <coughs> asking, but I haven't met him yet, but Matt Geiger is a young guy, I think a millennial who runs his own fund, and a key thing is he does his own picks, but he locks people up for 10 years. Now I don't know, how easy it is for millennials to get into it or, or younger people, but that might fit some people. You know, he, he, I think he really stays up, stays on top of the stocks and communicates well, and that's pretty rare, especially from a young person doing that, so good fit. Jamie, are you seeing anything creative uh, this resource sector is doing to get more people or younger people into the investing practices? I would say no. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, listen, uh, you know, our generation, younger generation, is moving away from relying on a broker to mm -hmm. source deals for them, right? They're, I mean, I think I've spoken about this a lot recently, but 
you know, there is, you know, growing up with the internet, there's an expectation of transparency. People are more in a better position and more inclined to do their own research. Uh, obviously, most people are doing their trading online now as opposed to with a full service broker. So I do think alternative forms of information flow are becoming more and more popular. Uh, be that the chat rooms of the world, uh, the Twitters, the CEO.CAs, where there's this ability for communities to form and discuss a point, or you know, paid subscription letters. So I mean, that's what we run. And you know, truthfully, the vast majority of our members are probably in the 45 plus range. But we do get a lot of interest from younger guys now, uh, in their 20s and 30s, who are just getting into investing, and they are trying to build a portfolio. And for a small number of them, metals and mining is becoming a part of that. And you know, it's it's a tough sell because well, I'm 33 right now. Uh, you know, I graduated in 2008, and it's been pretty much downhill since there in the mining industry. And there hasn't been a lot of opportunities for making money, especially for people that aren't really well connected or extremely devoted to the sector mm -hmm. like Nick here. Um, and there's been lower hanging fruit to focus on, be it the cryptocurrencies or the weed deals or uh, any number of things. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but I think um, there are these opportunities out there, but it's going to be really hard to bring people into the mining industry who haven't been there before until there's a bull market. You know, the older guys, they've made money in mining before. They're very cognizant of the cyclical nature of the industry, and they are preparing to set themselves their portfolio up to take advantage of that. You know, it's, it's very easy to say, well, mining cyclical, it'll come back. But if you're 30 years old and you've actually never seen that, it's probably hard to wrap your head around actually believing that. Yeah. I, I wish she was here for this, but, you know, Fabi from The Next Big Rush, I think it's yes. so interesting that she did a great job with one video on cryptos. She got thousands of subscribers from that one video. And my impression is, because she focuses on uranium, for some reason, a lot of the crypto people, there's some connection to the way the uranium market works, they like it. So she's doing a great job kind of converting those people. So there does seem to be a window there. And I do think the battery metals and you know the whole Elon Musk stuff, there's, there's something there that, that attracts millennials as well. So there's some creative ways to, to get them to work. I can add to that because uh, I did a live Facebook podcast yesterday with the Follow Money Investor Group. Um, I didn't know who they were, um, but uh, someone reached out to me on LinkedIn saying, oh, you, you knew Everett Mackler, which was the VP of Exploration for Garibaldi, he passed away last month. And then he's like, yeah, we got this uh, Discord group. And uh, he invited me to the Discord group uh, for GGI. And they have like 300 of their investors in this Discord group. So platforms like that, like what Fabi's doing, video and stuff, like, like it's, it's really cool to see these groups and, and us millennials, um, you know, finding ways to, to educate. And because and in this industry, in this business, we're always learning, no matter what, how old, how young, things change things. There's theories that turn out or not. And we're always learning, so I, I just put it out there to your to your to your community. You know, ask the questions, reach out to people. Like, don't be afraid or ashamed or anything like that. We all have questions. I I, I ask my teams all the time, what does this mean? Where can this go? Because I can't understand a lot of this technical stuff. So once I start to get it, so yeah, just just your, your community. Like, call these companies, talk to them. They'll explain it to you. They'll give you the time of the day. We are kind of running out of time, but I just want to throw out one question out there. What's, gonna, what's exciting you about 2019 in this space? What are you looking forward to? 
So I want to say, I want to comment on these mega mergers that's going on right now and why this should be interesting for retail investors at home. Uh, what we're seeing is a massive consolidation in the gold space. Uh, you know, Rangold and Barrick merging. Uh, Newmont making its bid for Goldcorp. Well, then maybe Nevada. Barrick just making its bid for Newmont. Uh, and, but the door was never closed on the Nevada assets. There's still an open door there yeah. that, that something could happen. But anyway, sorry. So, it, it's, I mean, if, if that Barrick-Newmont merger had gone through, it, it would have been, a, it'll be a $42 billion company, right? The next biggest company in the gold space is, I think it would be Newcrest, and that's $14 million. So, why is this happening? So, these companies are merging because they have decided that it is cheaper to replenish reserves by acquisition than it is by exploration. Um, which means, the, the thing about this is that they are actively trying to replenish reserves. And that probably means gold price is low right now and we're not seeing the incentivization to go out into exploration. But once this sort of merger cycle ends, mm. these companies will still be just as hungry to mm. replenish reserves. And they'll have to do it somewhere. And at some point, there's not going to be any other fucking gold companies to buy out there. So someone's going to have to go out and explore and find new assets. And that's what's going to happen. And this money, you know, these billions of dollars that are flying around between these companies are going to, is going to start trickling down into the exploration companies. It's going to start trickling down into that side of the space. And that is where the opportunities are going to really come for investors that have managed to position themselves in high value assets that are going to bring in these strategic investors and these and become acquisition targets and you know i can't say whether that's six months away or six years away but it is going to come and the key is to find companies that are going to be around for that and not going to dilute the hell out of you as a shareholder in the meantime so that's what i think is really interesting going on right now and what i'm very, very cognizant of. Would, would either of you like to follow up on what Bravo. you said? <laughs> um, like, like Nick and Jamie as well. Like, we're we're very not strategic, I would say, but um, uh, we like the exotic places that nobody loves. Um, we look at all these projects in, in these third world countries that people don't really understand and get. That's why my main focus is Brazil. I love Brazil. I love the teams I'm working with at Cabral and Altamira. They've done it before. Um, People don't understand Brazil right now, but when this market really turns, like that's that's like it's just about jurisdiction. Like if you look at the Quebec stuff and the Ontario stuff and the BC stuff, you see big pops up and down, but you know you don't see the returns. We're not in a, uh, I understand we're not in a bull market right now, but like yeah, I like I I like these jurisdictions that people don't understand and just find teams that understand these jurisdictions. Yeah, this, this is nice to be on this panel because it's hard to find people who are into these exotic jurisdictions. And yeah, I look at Brazil and I know Jamie looks at a lot of stuff, but this, I, I, I kind of hinted this every year, but maybe this is the beginning of an Africa run because related to what Jamie said, what's interesting about Africa and the gold space is there's so many gold mid-tiers and there's going to be this big gap because the big guys are getting bigger and many of the African mid-tiers are somewhere between 200 and 500,000 ounce per year producers. So they're the ones who are gonna gobble up the 100 to 200,000 ounce deposits, mm. which are all over Africa. It's like, that's what, what makes Africa. So that's, that's really happening. Um, you're seeing more stuff around that right now. But I also went to the African mining breakfast yesterday, which was one of my highlights here. Um, and what was really neat was that there were presentations 
from mining ministers from different countries. And the keynote was from Ethiopia, and that's definitely getting more interesting, and that's more on the radar. But a smaller one that surprised me was Rwanda. No one talks about Rwanda. They were so polished, so that's, that's an insight. Now, it's gonna take a while for that to work out, but that's an opportunity for people looking at early stage stuff. And so Africa, from the very early to the more advanced, um, that's, that's one of the big insights I have. Nick, yeah. Jamie, Sean, that's a wrap. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, yeah, thanks, safe Trevor. safe travels, thanks. heading home, and uh, thanks for making this happen. We'll, we'll do it again next year, huh? Yeah. All right, all right. Take care. Thank you. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with material presented herein.